Welcome to the Under 8 Podcast, a daily college basketball show brought to you every weekday in under eight minutes at the time of recording. It is Tuesday. No, it is Monday. Monday, November 13th at 10.39 p.m. My name is Josh Molnix. On today's pod, the Michigan Wolverines keep right on rolling at Madison Square Garden. The Gavit Games are underway and a Big Five Classic upset. It's all right here, right now on the Under 8 Podcast. Scenario for you, Josh Doring. He is here with me at Josh, Joshua Doring 98 on Twitter. Scenario for you, if I dropped you on the planet tonight, you would think that the Michigan Wolverines have far and away the best backcourt in the country with one Doug McDaniel and one Namari Burnett. It was 47 points. It was 16 of 29 shooting. It was lots of assists and not very many turnovers. It was uh, quite the performance from the Wolverine backcourt at MSG. Yeah, Namari Burnett had his career high. What, I think it was with six minutes left in the first half? Something like that. It was his, and, his career high was nineteen when he when yeah, he got to nineteen. I think so. Yeah, yeah, and he didn't score that much after that, and kind of eased into eased off the throttle the second half, and Doug McDaniel kind of took over. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, to me there are two things here from the St. John side. One of them is is this Michigan backcourt that good, or is St. John's that bad defensively? Because that was atrocious. They could not stay in front of them. And then the other part of this is, and we can get to the Michigan side in a second. You have a team with a bunch of guards that got brought in, right? Joel Soriano is your big returner. So you've got these two highly thought of guards, Dennis Jenkins, Jordan Dingle. Both buckets, not point guards, mm-hmm. who got outscored combined by Burnett and McDaniel individually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who is the who is the playmaker for the St. John's team? Because they look like a bunch of people that are score first players that didn't really move the ball very well. And I know they're, you know, this is what game three playing together, maybe even game two. Right, that they need time to figure this out. Rick Patino needs time to work with this team, but there's just not a lot to build off of as a foundation here. Those are my two big concerns if I'm Patino right now. It, it it looks like a team that hasn't been together for very long. It looks like a team of and and this is this is exactly why I hesitate. There's just there's just a lot of of mid major production here that you're hoping can translate to to the high major level and it's something i'm always concerned about and it's just a lot more difficult for someone like jenkins in particular who was the guy that brought the assist per game number that you might be looking for at 4.9 assists it's just a lot harder against a big 10 opponent like michigan to be efficient from the field hand out 4.9 assists and find a way to score 15 points. And, you know, Patino, after kind of throwing his team under the bus a little bit, talking about how he was shocked, how 
it kind of turned into a lot of one-on-one basketball and that there wasn't a ton of teamwork and you kind of and you kind of saw saw it on the floor and that combined with the fact that like you said not totally sure if 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 their defense is any good at all they're 121st in defensive efficiency after the Michigan game so it's clearly not good and there's there's a lot to to fix and we're maybe above any anything else learning that Rick Pitino is a really good basketball coach he's not a miracle worker and it's not going to it's not going to turn into this well-oiled machine like it was at Louisville once upon a time overnight it's just not yeah and that was game two so you know they haven't obviously still plenty of time to continue to build this thing i do Mm -hmm. think they're going to get significantly better i haven't given up entirely but we now know where we're starting from and on the michigan side this team is really good curious to see just how good but if that's the backcourt you're getting or something Remote. If Doug McDaniel is that guy, forget about Amari Burnett. Very, very good team. If Burnett is now going to be the player that he always could be, that his recruiting profile coming out of high school suggests he was, mm-hmm. they could be really good. And in a Big Ten that hasn't been too impressive so far outside of Purdue, and you're talking about three teams in the rankings right now, mm-hmm. an 18 at Michigan State, and uh, I believe Illinois is 23rd. Now, Illinois got a chance against Marquette. We'll see how that goes. But the, the Big Ten could use another team pushing in the top 10, top 15. I would not be stunned if Michigan gets there. I would not be stunned at all. I think they are there. We're pushing on how much longer until we start talking about them in the conversation with Michigan State and Purdue in the, con- in the, the context of the Big Ten specifically. Um, I have two questions for you when it comes to Michigan. Uh, one, Ewing theory, Juwan Howard. How do we like? Is there? What happens when he comes back? Because I mean, this was, this is. It's a little awkward how good they look without him around. It's like it's like almost it's almost awkward. I'm not gonna read too much into that. To me, okay. that's. The reason why he hired Phil Martelli from the beginning is that if something like this did happen, you're still very confident because you essentially have a second head coach running your program. I, I I'm not I sure no, I agree with that, but even you don't hire somebody so that when you have a medical emergency, they can run your program while you're gone. But, but, but right, but that he wanted somebody with decades of head coaching experience on his bench to provide this kind of stability, and then. If the situation arises, obviously Martello is more than comfortable mm-hmm. moving one seat over. I I don't put any stock into that. To me, this is about this team just looks and fits much better. Sure. I would I would ask much more questions about the focal point that left than the coach who is still working his way back from yeah, the medical procedure. Sure. Uh is Doug McDaniel the best point guard in the country? Based on the sample size of the last 10 days. I'll buy most impressive so far. Okay. Need to see a little bit more before I say best in the country, but absolutely. I, he, this is real. This is what he's going to be this season. And that's why I am 100% sold on Michigan. I mean, I'm, pe- I'm taking, is, I'm taking two point guards over Doug McDaniel right now Two. Tyler Colick. Mm-hmm. 
Mahaney? Who? Ada Mahaney? <laughs> no. Not after you lose to Weaver State. I still probably, uh, after the way that Tyson Walker can take over a game, um, mm. that I think there's a conversation there. But Tyler Kolick is the only one that I am, without without thinking twice about it, taking over yeah. Daniel right now. I would agree with that. That's not it. And, and when you put Michigan into conversation that they could have an All-American level guard and Olivia Kamwa is an like a borderline All-American level big man. Who did not have a particularly good game. Not in this one, but that's okay. He didn't need to. No. This game no. wasn't particularly close. No. Then it then if that's what what McDaniel is and we know what Kamwa is capable of, then it it can make some sense that Michigan looks as good as it does. And if Burnett's going to have 21 on 8 of 13 shooting, then we can take down the whole country. Yeah, oh, yeah. The the stealing is there. The question is, how far can they push it? 89-73, Michigan rolls St. John's at MSG. Purdue, 83-71 over Xavier in their first high major test of the season in the Gavit games. Zach Eady went from it's kind of quiet, it's kind of quiet, it's always oh, got 18 and 7 to that's a big boy stat line, 28 points, 11 rebounds, four blocks, nine of 17 shooting, 10 of 11 from the free throw line. Uh Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer, both efficient, uh both took care of the basketball and combined for 23 points. It was a you know, Xavier was, you know, stuck in it. I thought it was very Xavier from the standpoint of it just kind of feels like with the injuries they've had that they don't quite have enough, but they're well coached and they're going to be tough to play. I felt like that's kind of what you got from Xavier, but but on on the Purdue side, a a pretty well-rounded effort led by a big stat line from Zach Eady. Yeah. Guards were really, really good, aggressive from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Really liked what I saw from both of them very confident, very in control, looking to make things happen. The the other part of this on the Xavier side, outside of the fact that Purdue is shooting the ball, I said this from the beginning, what happens if they actually shoot it? You add Miles Colvin, he could really shoot the basketball. Well, we know what happens when they shoot it. They We get the first half of last season. That yeah, That's what they are when they shoot it. Yeah. So far, that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Xavier, not so much. They entered the game 11 of 40 from three and then proceeded to go 7 of 25. So we're at 18 of 65 from three so far. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you have a lot of go-to weapons. And two of those threes were arguably produced two best defensive possessions of the game. The Desmond Cloud somehow converted into six points. He's about the only guy that's going to be kind of your go-to scorer. He didn't have a good enough game for Xavier to give Purdue any real trouble. Like you said, they hung around longer than they probably should have and made it closer than it probably was because I still didn't really understand how it was still a 10, 8, 12-point game. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, there was only one team that was going to win this one. You can't ask Desmond Cloud to do more than 15 and 6 on 6 of 11 shooting. That's just not... Like you, you probably need to in this right. current That's iteration of Xavier. That's the right. point. Right. And and goes back to the I just am with the with the injuries, I'm not sure they have enough. But that's that's the the upper echelon of what you'd like 
to have to ask Cloud to do. And but he's the, he's the one returner. Right. No, no, no. It, know, it, yeah. it all it all makes perfect sense. But you but it's he's he, like you're not going to get better than that from him. You're just not at least not against a team like Purdue. So when they enter Biggie's play, especially I'll be curious to see how this how this plays out, because they might just be a team all year that they're going to they're going to make teams work for their wins and they're going to play Marquette really hard and they're going to play Creighton really hard. But maybe at the end of the day, they're just, there's a talent discrepancy that as long as they're not healthy, they can't quite get over that hump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 83 71, the Purdue Boilermakers move to three and O oh, and they, they look pretty good. They took care of business in their first two mid-major matchups. And and like you said, for a lot of this game, it felt like, man, how is this still just an 8-10 to 10 point game? The big, the, the unexpected outcome of the evening in the Big Five Classic, by the way, shouts to the Big Five Classic. Uh, not a great night for Villanova fans on the Big Five Classic side of things. Number 21, Villanova falling to... Middle of the Ivy League, Pennsylvania Quakers, 76-72. Uh, it might be panic time. I, this team doesn't do anything that Villanova teams we've come to learn and love over the last you know 10 years or so do. Um, I, I, it's still only been a, you know a year and two games, three games, whatever it is for Kyle Neptune, but you were hoping that with a healthy roster that has as much talent as it does, that we'd leave some of these some of these outcomes in the past. Yeah. Justin Moore was good. That's the positive. Yep. We'll start with that. Yeah, this was not a Justin Moore wasn't their loss. Which makes it almost even more discouraging. Correct. Penn Took 15, six, sorry, 16 fewer shots, made two more than Villanova. That's the game right there. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when you shoot 34% from the floor and 27% from three. Yep. And, you know, Moore made a couple threes. They got a, Mark Armstrong got a couple steals so that they actually kind of had a chance to maybe make this interesting at the end. Ultimately, Penn did just enough to hold on. To me, this is kind of going to what you said. This is pretty simple. This is the second year in a row they've lost to another one of the Philly Five teams. I Maybe I'm missing one. Mm-hmm. I genuinely don't remember that happening under Jay Wright. I'm sure it probably did at some point. I'm sure it did earlier in his tenure before they became Villanova. But they would show up at these games every single, with almost without exception, every single season and win by 15 to 25 points. Mm-hmm to your point about this, just not right. They never, and these are games that are supposed to be difficult, you know, rivalry. These are all the players that at least somewhere in there probably wish they were playing at Villanova instead, right? That Villanova didn't recruit all kinds of reasons for this to happen more often for these games to be more challenging. And they just weren't. Mm -hmm. And now this is two years in a row where you've 